How do you spell the word suit? Like suit and tie? How do you spell lawsuit? So does suit mean different things? Yes. No, it, it has to. It's the same spelling. It has to. Because like pursuit is also S-U-I-T, which is the name of the chapter. So I wonder if like the root word or, or like the Latin meaning or whatever. I don't know where that suffix comes from. Pref yeah, suffix. So I wonder if it's like close or if it's like clothing. <laughs> the word suit derives from the French suite, meaning following. So we just ruined it? <laughs> Middle English from the Anglo-Norman French suit, S-I-W-T-E, from a feminine past participle of a romance verb based on Latin, sequi, follow. Early senses included, quote, attendance at a court and, quote, legal process. Derived from an earlier meaning, set of things to be used together. Odd. So it's the French's fault. <laughs> that we use it in so many ways and it doesn't quite make sense. Okay. Sure. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 19, Pursuit. And the epigraph of this chapter goes into the agreements between the six duchies and the mountain kingdoms. How the peace is relatively new in King Regal's time, and it was really only during King Shrewd's time when Rurisk and Chivalry created those trade agreements. Otherwise, right. it was... The mountain kingdom kind of dictating what trade went through those mountain passes and the six duchies and the mountain kingdom both withholding trades for the detriment of both countries before that. Right. It also discussed how Regal inherited this situation and then immediately like trashes it. Yeah, basically. <laughs> he, uh, he harasses Ketrakin out of the country. Obviously, we know this. But what he does is that he tries to send guards, quote unquote, along with these trade caravans to move troops into the Mountain Kingdom in a bid to kind of take it over by force. Obviously, the Mountain Kingdom, you know, disagrees with that. Yes. <laughs> so those... Uh, they, they said, you can't do that. They removed him from that. And then his protestations and threats prompted the closing of the mountain borders to six duchies trade. Thwarted, he embarked on a vigorous campaign of discrediting Queen Ketrakin and building patriotic hostility toward the mountain kingdom. His eventual goal seemed obvious to take by force if necessary, the lands of the mountain kingdom as a six duchies province. Which does point... To the fact that he was putting guards in there well before Ketrikin goes, quote unquote, missing. Right. Um, because he only goes to trashing Ketrikin at large when he doesn't get his way. So 
At large, yes, but he had been doing it for his. Well, yeah, but he's <laughs> he's talking bad about her. But I feel like the discredit discreditation. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word. The discrediting begins more so a little bit later, closer yeah. to the death of his father, and mm-hmm. much after. But I thought that was interesting. That means that while he was in the inner duchies raising funds for the ships, he probably was setting this in motion. And it's also interesting because it's it was his idea to marry Verity to Ketrikin to begin with. Mm-hmm. So he's always wanted the land of the mountains. Yeah, and it points out, the epigraph points this out as well, saying first off that it's a very poor time to try to take them over by force because you're besieged by another force, the Red Ship Raiders, and he has been disinclined or unable to defeat them. No military force had ever conquered the Mountain Kingdom, and yet this was what he seemed intent upon doing. Why he so desperately desired to possess this territory was a question that initially baffled everyone. Yeah. And that is a question that I can't remember <laughs> the answer to. No, I can't either. I I really, I, I feel like we've learned it at some point, but it's in one of the later trilogies. But I really don't know. I feel like just on a hunch that he wanted that territory as part of the agreement with the out Islander Raiders and particularly the pale woman wanted like the dragon, like access to their ever, whatever they learned through the skill scrolls, that sort of thing. Right. But I really don't know if that's true or not. Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure either. I made a mark of it and then forgot to uh, do any research onto figuring out what it was. <laughs> I did a brief cursory Google and like nothing really popped up. I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to find discussions based on very specific things in these books. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it must be something that we learn later, but I'm sure it's a one line thing. Maybe even this series. I don't know, yeah, but I wouldn't be surprised sure. if it's a throwaway line later on. However, I would like to say that it talks a little bit about how because Ketrikin's brother died, she's the sole heir to the Mountain Kingdom. And so with her marrying Verity, the people thought for a time that the Mountain Kingdom would eventually just become part of the six duchies for the wedding or with the wedding. And it kind of made me think that potentially this is why Shrewd let Regal play his petty games at the expense of Fitz, because I think Shrewd recognizes the greatness of expanding the kingdom i i think that was like the major reason why it was explained in the in the first book i thought well the whole thing is is that fitz doesn't know for sure if the king knows that rurisk isn't actually sick so regal's whole reasoning of why they need to get rid of him is because he's sickly anyway and he's this horrible person so he has to go Mm -hmm. and so i'm wondering if shrewd knew he was not like possibly 100 percent knew everything that regal was telling him was fake and was like well this still aligns my goals so quite possibly i don't know but i thought that was an interesting thing to think on that Maybe Shrewd isn't as blinded to what his son is doing as we originally thought. And it's a very shrewd move. Yeah. Get the seven duchies. Although 
still weird that he would sacrifice Fitz in that way, unless he was sure Fitz would get out of it. I don't know. Who knows? That's just I mean, the cost of one royal bastard who wasn't officially recognized for another full duchy with guaranteed, you know, (laughs) guaranteed lineage through that royal family. So small chance that they're going to uprise, right? like rebel against you. You have more trade. You have access to the backside of the mountain kingdom and the mountains there. Fair enough. (laughs) Pretty advantageous. Yeah. And it makes sense. I don't know. It just is sad to think that he is willing to sacrifice Fitz in that way. But maybe he was. Hardest choices require the strongest wills. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) So they've just escaped Moon's Eye. Fitz kind of can tell that Starling wants to be left alone with her thoughts, looking back at Moon's Eye burning. And they are slowly trotting out away from it, still on Kettle's wagon, pulled by the two horses. Eventually, Fitz comes back to himself. Kettle, I called over my shoulder. Where are we going? Away from Moon's Eye, she said. I could hear the weariness in her voice. Starling stirred and glanced at me. We thought you would know. Where did the smugglers go, I asked. I felt more than Starling, than saw Starling shrug. They wouldn't tell us. They said if we went after you, we had to part company with them. They seemed to believe Burl would send soldiers after you, no matter how badly Moon's Eye had been hit. I nodded more to myself than to her. He will. He's going to blame the whole raid on me. And it will be said that the raiders were actually the Mountain Kingdom, soldiers sent to free me. I sat up, easing away from Starling. And when they catch us, they'll kill you both. So right there, we get a little sense that Starling doesn't fully know the consequences of what she's doing. She doesn't know the full pursuit, the the intense anger and hatred that the Coterie and Regal, by extension, has for Fitz, for catching him. Right. For finishing that chapter of their lives. And Fitz kind of grasps all that. <laughs> and Right. Decides to split with them here. Well, yeah, and that's fair because Starling doesn't actually know Regal. She is from a minor keep or a minor nobility in the keep. No. A minor. <laughs> yeah, you were, she, I mean, you were kind of. But right. is it, a minor the keep house. is wrong. <laughs> yeah, the keep is wrong in the duchies. Yeah. So she's duchy. from a minor nobility in the duchies. A minor noble's keep <laughs> in oh the Duchy is, a, I guess, a clearer way of saying it. She's from a small town. <laughs> she is. She's a small town girl. Yeah, living in a lonely world. Yep. Oh, my God. She took the northbound wagon <laughs> heading to Jean. Anyway. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so... Starling doesn't really know what's going on with the inner working of court because she probably hasn't had very much real life experience with how literally cutthroat court can be. And also, we know that Regal puts on a very, very cavalier and charismatic front. Right. Even though she doesn't really like Regal. And that's kind of the sentiment from Buck Duchy in general, where she's from. He still can be seen as just like an overindulgent prince that 
we didn't want to lead right. and He's, is pulling out of Buckkeep for God knows what reason. He's pretty bad for the kingdom, but he's not the bloodthirsty person that right. Fitz knows him as. Like, he's know? just immature. And I think that's, like, part of what's keeping her from understanding the depth of the situation. Also, she has no idea how skill works. She doesn't know that the people after Fitz have a magic that can track him super easily, potentially. We don't know that for a fact. But, I mean, the possibility is there, and Fitz knows that. There's also the fact that they will stop at nothing. And it's interesting because Starling got her fingers, two of her fingers, broken just because she was with Fitz, essentially, to prove a point to Fitz. But doesn't seem to grasp that that's, like, literally the least of her worries if they catch them this time. Yeah, and so Kettle kind of grasps this as well when Fitz starts dismounting, saying, hey, can you ride bareback? I'm unhitching the horses from the cart. And Starling is very slow to grasp all this, saying, like, you know, you're leaving us. I just saved you. We came back for you. We did all of this for you. Like, what was happening? And Kettle's like, yeah, he's drawing them off of us. And Fitz just can't stop to explain himself, really. Right. He is probably pretty shaken up and in a Fitz way doesn't feel like anybody will understand him with more words, which is not the case usually. But nonetheless, he is trying to get things done quickly because he knows time is not on their side. And the idea is if he's not with them, they won't go after them. Right, because he's also planning on drawing them directly to him as right. well. He's he's going to draw them away from, uh, from Starling and Kettle, because he's telling them to go follow the road, go to a smaller civil like a smaller village, hide out for a few days. When you hear that nothing is happening, then go to Jean Pay. His plan is to draw them to him and then cut straight across the countryside to Jean Pay into a chase so it draws them away in two different directions right to save them because he can't have any any guilt on his conscience even though that's what he constant constantly has in right. his mind and it is a good decision because he knows that they're all slowing each other down in different ways the cart is hampering them it's gonna make getting anywhere very slow and the soldiers that will be riding after him will not have that to hinder them so they need to be able to get out. It's a gamble because Kettle and Starling aren't super capable of defending themselves. Kettle's pretty old, so whatever training she has had, kind of not super useful anymore. And Well, she can't skill either. No. She is blocked, so. And the other problem of Starling also not great because I don't think she's ever trained in hand-to-hand combat. No, no. So, I mean, against a bunch of trained soldiers, they're kind of sitting ducks. And it's smart of Fitz to try to get them to safety. Because even if the soldiers do come upon them on the road without Fitz, they just kind of escaped and they might not be the same soldiers that captured them. They might have a better chance. If Fitz was with them, 100% they're dead. Exactly. So they split up, Kettle and Starling on the horses, heading off along the road, and 
Fitz leaves them with Night Eyes walking alongside of him. Yes. He says in his mind here, there would be pursuit because they'd find the old man killed by the wolf. They'd yeah. send out riders on all the roads into the mountains. They'd soon catch up with Kettle and Starling. Unless the hunters had another, more difficult trail to follow. One that cut cross-country headed directly to Jampe, due west. And so that's what Fitz is trying to do. He's going to draw them off their trail. And he's worrying about all the future and thinking, I need to find supplies and stuff, but that's not really going to happen. What worried me more was that I might find myself on the edge of an unscalable ridge or having to ford one of the swift cold rivers. And Night Eyes has to draw him back and bring in that wolf mentality, useless to worry until we find ourselves blocked. Night Eyes pointed out, if it happens, then we must simply find a way around it. It may slow us down, but we will never get there at all if we stand still and worry. They make a great duo. They do. They <laughs> complement each other well. Um, but it is a scary thing to be going off and separating. And with the death of the old man by Wolf, there is no mistaking that Fitz maybe died in a fire. Fitz is definitely alive and definitely got free. I also do just want to back up for one second to say that um, I totally get that Starling is confused again, that like she's very upset about this and doesn't even want Fitz to help her anymore. She's so mad. But it's confusing times and she's coming off of being in a village that was being burnt down, which is probably pretty triggering to a traumatic experience that she had. So, like, I get that she's not super clearly thinking straight at this moment. She's just flabbergasted that she went through all that and Fitz is immediately leaving. But, yeah, he has to go forward and it is cold. <laughs> it is there is yeah. a lot of snow he mentions that he and Night Eyes take the paths that are more favorable to a man and wolf on foot than they are to people on horseback, which is advantageous to them. Yeah. And again, like I mentioned before, he decides that he has to make himself a threat to Regal, one that must be dealt with immediately. Yes. And so he sits down, gets a tiny fire going and gets ready to skill. He goes through the soldier's pouch that he picked up mm. in Moon's Eye, goes through those contents, finds, you know, a few coins, some dice, a scrap of parchment folded up and a lock of hair and has a thought. We didn't touch on it last at the end of last chapter, end of last episode, but Starling calls him the catalyst there. And again, he has a thought this time saying the soldier's death was none of my doing. I reminded myself. Still, a chill voice whispered the word catalyst in the back of my mind. But for me, she would be alive still. For a moment, I felt old and weary and sick. It's just going to plague him forever. Yeah. I just wanted to point those out because not that they're super plot relevant, but it's just something that keeps coming up over and over. And I feel like, to me at least, as a reader, it makes it all the more frustrating the arguments that he and the fool have in the Tony man trilogy. Right. Because the fool is desperately saying like, Hey, you are the catalyst. You are the changer. And literally the only time that he gets it is when he says, 
well, I'm not going to let you die then. I'll be the catalyst and change what you think is right. a good thing and I'll let you die. And the fool is horrified at like every single turning point of that, that series. <laughs> yeah. It it doesn't super make sense that he doesn't actually, he believes and doesn't believe at the same time. He believes that he's catalyst whenever he's in his lowest and seeing the death surrounding him but doesn't whenever somebody's standing in his face like, hey, you have to be the catalyst to make things better for the world. And I don't know if that's him trying to cope with all of the death and pain and sorrow that his life is of like, no, it can't it can't have had to have happened to me. This has to be something that is by chance. I don't know. I guess what's the difference between fate deciding it so and it happening by chance, but maybe it matters to him. So. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. So he sits down, gets ready to skill, and he dives immediately into the skill river, which surprises him very much. He's a lot stronger there than he has been in a long time. Right. In the skill, he easily can reach out. He knows he could reach out to Verity or, you know, reach out to Molly and Beric. He's very tempted, but he has a purpose, a specific purpose here. And he goes to do that. Right. Well, it's not just him that feels more powerful. It's the skill river itself is, in his words, deeper and wilder and stronger here. Which I thought was really interesting because he is in the mountains. And I mean, I guess I don't know how far away Kelsingra is. Probably quite a distance. Pretty far, yeah. But I'm wondering if the like silver, the natural silver is somewhere in the mountains and it trickles down from the mountains into the wells. I'm sure it's in, in the ground. Yeah. So I wonder if that's part of what's making it feel stronger because he's like reacting to the sil- natural silver in the earth. Yeah. I don't possibly. know. He reaffirms to himself. I was here to taunt an enemy and must be on my guard. So he extends himself, finds uh, Burl and he was almost startled at how unaware of my touch he was. Then his pain jolted through me. I drew back, faster than a startled sea anemone in a tide pool. I shocked myself by opening my eyes and staring up into the cedar boughs burdened with snow. Sweat slicked my face and back. What was that? Night Eyes demanded. You know as much as I do, I told him. It had been purest pain. Pain independent of an injury to the body... Pain that was not sorrow or fear. Total pain, as if every part of the body, inside and out, were immersed in fire. Regal and will were causing it. And so this is the punishment that Burl gets from letting Fitz go. Right. It is horrible and inhumane. And Fitz only got a slight taste of it for seconds and Burl is feeling this for much longer we don't know how long he has been being punished before this or how much longer he would have been punished but it seems like this is very harsh yeah and even the other skill masters realize this yeah Will and Carrot are both holding him down and Carrot is has poorly masked horror and distaste for this task, in his words. Right. And Will isn't 
taking pleasure in it, but he's not as horrified. Um, Fitz does make the distinction that he's not taking pleasure in it yet, but Regal does. Regal is reveling in the pain he is causing. And it makes Fitz think about who Regal is and that he used to know Regal and not well, but they lived in the same castle and saw each other a lot. And Regal was mean and a bully and would push him or hurt him or tattle on him all the time. And it was frustrating and awful. But looking at it, it was a jealous boy who whose the father's favorite son had made another heir to potentially put favor towards it wasn't necessarily personal it was a little bit understandable and it was human at least but somewhere along the line regal has lost his humanity to fitz's eyes he compares regal to the witted ones and how the forged ones or forged ones thank you he compares Regal to the Forged Ones and how when Forged people are around, their humanity is just gone. It is a hole that is left in them and it's not voluntary. But he even goes so far as to say that there is a shadow of what they were that remains. But yes. with Regal, there's nothing. If he had opened his chest and there was a pit of vipers there, he couldn't have been more surprised. Right. It's just who Regal is now. There's no hesitancy. And it's really interesting how he's come to this place. It does make me wonder what pushed Regal over the edge. I don't necessarily know that when his mother died, that's what immediately did it. I think it was still a slow growth. But it's just really interesting to me that even Fitz can see that at one point he was a little bit pitiable. He was human. Yes, he was doing bad things, but there's still a chance of redemption. And now it's, there is none. There's absolutely no chance. He warns Night Eyes that he's going to go back and then closes his eyes and flung himself into the Skill River. I opened myself wide to it, drawing its cold strength into me without thought that too much of it would devour me. At that instant, Will became aware of me. I spoke to them. You will die at my hand, Regal, as certainly as Verity will reign again as king. Then I smashed that gathered power against them. It was almost as instinctive as a clenched fist. I did not plan it, but suddenly I understood this was what Verity had done to them back in Tradeford. There was no message, nothing but a furious unleashing of strength upon them. I opened wide to them and showed myself. Then when they turned to me, I willed myself to blast them with every bit of skill I had gathered. Like Verity, I held back nothing of my strength. I believe if there had been only one, I would have succeeded in burning the skill right out of him. Instead, they shared the jolt. I will never know what effect it had on Burl. Perhaps he was grateful for my savagery, for it shattered Will's concentration and released him from Regal's sophisticated torture. I felt Carriage shriek of terror as he broke off his skilling. I think Will might have stood and challenged me had not Regal feebly commanded him, Break it off, you fool. Do not risk me for your vengeance. In the blinking of an eye, they were gone. And Fitz notes that when he comes back to, the day is strong. 
and Night Eyes was laying almost on top of him, and there was blood on his coat. Fitz's blood. Night Eyes relays that he was not reachable at all, so he had passed out, and his nose had started to bleed from that effort. Fitz is extremely weak. He did, like he said, use pretty much all of his strength to hurt them, to blast them apart, to scare Regal and make sure that they sent all of the soldiers after him. Because in doing so, and in opening himself up to that, they kind of know where he is now, at least in the general direction. Right. So they know where to start. And Fitz now has to sit up and get himself going. He knows he has to leave because, like like Luke just said, his position is known with the opening up. And he talks about how... His hand feels very far away from him and he's staggering up and there's just blood coming out of his nose still. It's his mouth is dry and his tongue feels swollen. It's this horrible, horrible hangover, essentially, but way worse. And it made me think about the fact that Verity did this first. Yeah. And Verity didn't know he was going to do this. Fitz at least set up wood beside the fire to be able to have the fire continue going all night long and set up his surroundings to be the most comfortable. He had night eyes with him to make sure nothing bad happened. Verity just went in noticing that his his nephew was in trouble and expended everything with no preparation. And that is crazy. I cannot believe he survived after that, especially hearing what the aftermath is like for Fitz. And maybe it's different for Verity because he has been using the skill longer and he has been expending himself more. But I can't imagine that it's much different if you're he used all of his strength to do that. Yeah, I don't think it would be different at all because Fitz makes note during that time and this time as well that Verity did use all of his strength and he was just copying what Verity did. Right. So yeah, Verity's uh pretty Verity's pretty cool. Pretty strong. <laughs> I mean, he survived doing that on his own with no help. Um and probably not a fire because I feel like Verity wouldn't set up fire in case somebody saw it. Maybe not, but either way very impressive. So they head on out because Fitz knows that they have to flee now. They spend their days just kind of walking along because Fitz can't really go any faster. Night Eyes is searching out best trails, hunting alongside. He's kind of carrying the team at this point because Fitz knows that it's endurance at this point. Right. He just needs to keep going day in, day out. Mm -hmm. And he does mention that the snow in the mountains right now is hip deep in some parts. It's super deep snow. And... I don't know if any listeners also live where it snows, um, but snow is tiring. <laughs> oh, yeah. Even if it's calf deep. Yeah. It's super tiring to walk in. So I can't imagine being hip deep in snow and like trying to wade through day after day with no breaks, essentially, because you just have to get going on top of the fact that he's recovering from the skill. 
And he's not getting a lot of sleep. He talks about how at night when he rests, he has to keep his walls up because he doesn't know if Will or Carrot or Burl can track him through the skill or if they'll try. He doesn't know if they're going to try to attack him in his sleep. He does feel Will battling against his walls. He says, I kept my skill walls up tight, but even so, I was aware of Will's battling against them. I did not think he could track me as long as I guarded myself, but I was not certain of that. So that's another draw on his strength, like constantly yes. being aware of that as well. And then also, because it's so cold, staying up and not falling asleep forever to feed the fire. Yep. Making sure that he stays warm throughout and having to stand up to get feeling back in his feet by stomping them. Ooh, I do not envy Fitz yeah. on this journey. He says, when I arose on the fourth dawn of our traveling, I knew we were deep within the mountain kingdom. I had seen no sign of pursuit since we had left Moon's Eye. Surely this deep within Ketrakin's own land, we were safe. And I... <laughs> He's a wrong. Little, little Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> little ambitious thought there. <laughs> little hopeful thought, but yeah, wishful not quite. thinking. For the first time, I considered what uh, would happen... Basically, he's thinking about what would happen when he gets to Jean-Pay. He talks to Ketrakin. What are the repercussions of that? She thinks he's dead still. She had had no word from him or about him. Ketrakin would have borne the child by now. By my reckoning, her babe would be close in age to my own daughter. I suddenly found myself very curious. I could hold that babe and say to myself, this must be how it feels to hold my daughter. Except... Ketrickin believed Fitz dead. Right. I do want to stop here to say that this is incredibly sad because we, the reader, or I should say we, the re-readers, know that Ketrickin has lost her child. Lost her baby. And Fitz never holds his daughter either. Fitz <laughs> never holds his daughter. He also never holds his son. Yes. I know there's like some questionable, like it's not his soul that made it, whatever. But he did father the baby, technically. And he doesn't ever get to see his son grow up either or hold that child. And it's kind of really sad to think about the fact that Fitz is here like, oh, well, I'll get to hold a baby pretty close in age and think about it as my daughter. And it's like, oh, poor Fitz. <laughs> it's not fair. He, he'll never get to be a parent of a child until B, but he doesn't really parent super well, we find out, so. Yeah, at least not in grief. No. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll we'll talk about that, you know, years <laughs> to come, but we will talk about that. So he, he thinks it fully through here. Since Ketrickin thinks he's dead, if he does tell her, surely he could tell her, right? Like, he knew her, but unlike Starling or Kettle, she knew him beforehand as well. Right. This would rock a lot more than their world that he was alive still. Right. Because he's not just some some hero that one person caught one glance of and told them about. It's someone you knew and talked to and yeah. confided in. Yeah. All of a sudden returning from the dead. And, you know, for... Fitz's help. It's not like Ketrickin saw him die, so <laughs> so maybe she wouldn't be so skeptical of, you know, she could think that, oh, he faked his death. But he's not thinking like that because it's Fitz, so. Also, she probably heard from patients. Actually, no, because uh, Ketrickin had left by then. 
but patients kept in contact with her. So that's true. I think possibly I don't remember. Patients was going to send baby yeah, they stuff. They're going to send a quilt along. So probably sent a note as well. Right. Anyway, it it's interesting to think about that. Fitz is really struggling thinking about people he knows finding out. And he thinks about how his friend from the stable's hands reacted. Wasn't pleasant. So he can't imagine anybody else will have much different of a reaction. Yeah, because he's thinking about all the connections that Ketrikin would have. If he does reintroduce himself to the world, to her, she could send out messages. And how would Birik and Molly and everyone else he knows react to that? He doesn't want to go through the same situation with hands again and see that look of revulsion, disgust. And so he decides that he would have to remain dead. Better perhaps to bypass Jean Pay altogether and press on to find Verity, save that without supplies I had much of a chance as that of Night Eyes had of passing off as a lapdog. And there was one other small matter. The map. This is the first time that he brings this back up, but we've talked about it before. It's been a while, but we've talked about this part before. How when Ketrikin had found that map in Buckkeep's uh, library, the very old map from King Wisdom's time, directing towards you know the Mountain Kingdom and beyond to the Elderlings, there were stylings around the outside that Fitz thought hinted that the Mountain Kingdom had made that. Right. Or it came from the Mountain Kingdom. That it was a recreation of an older map from the Mountain Kingdom. Yes. And so he might find that in Jean Pei's library. And so he's thinking all this through like, okay, so I have to stay dead to Ketrikan, but Mountain Kingdom folk are very trusting. It won't be too difficult to get into the, the kingdom there. The palace should be able to sneak around and get to the library and find this map. And I'll, you know, make a start from there. He's shameful uh, because of those thoughts. It's like how easy it would be to rob them and steal food and provisions and also their artifacts. <laughs> yes, but he knows he would do it even if he's ashamed by that. I do want to say that Fitz, I think, is more swayed by the thought of Molly being repulsed at finding out he's alive than anything else. That's fair. He does talk about how he had felt betrayed learning that she had kept their child from him, but can't imagine how it must feel if that wasn't the only secret. And he got only a taste of how Molly felt because he had so many. And this secret would be the thing that breaks their relationship and that it would ruin all chances he had of rekindling their relationship, which is kind of a funny sentence because their chances are at zero with him being dead to her. So <laughs> he doesn't That's, specifically say rekindle or anything. It just says would, you know, get rid of any other feelings she might have for me still. Basically, it would put an end to whatever feelings she might have still had. The chances for rebuilding a life with her were small enough. I could not bear for them to dwindle further. Right. Well, they're already at zero. So. <laughs> so I don't understand the logic of I can't let her know I'm alive or else I'll have no chance of getting back with her. OK, well, <laughs> if you're dead, still can't get back with her. I don't maybe just can't let her know like that. 
he wants to do it on his own terms kind of thing. I guess. I don't know. I just found it funny that he's like, oh, heaven forbid she find out I'm alive. Then we can't be together. <laughs> but yeah, it's there is a bit of I need to stay away from people. It'll just be bad. And I think it's more self-destructive than real. Yeah, it's fair. He did die and come back from the dead, which would be a very tough pill to swallow. But pushing everybody away isn't going to help. Right. And so he sees it like he has no choice at all. No choice, no choice, no choice. Never any choice about anything. Fate had made me a killer, a liar, and a thief. And the harder I tried to avoid those roles, the more firmly I was pushed into them. Ned Eyes patted at my heels and fretted about my black mood. So this thought is really interesting because we, the reader, know as outside parties that Fitz does have choices. He's just not making them and that he just feels like there's no other choice because it's a rock in a hard place and he's choosing the hard place over the rock. And that's super fair. It's not like these are easy choices to make. He's also still a teenager, but there are choices. Yeah. And some, some of those choices did happen when he was about eight years old right. or 10 years old. He's so. not always in control of the choices. Yes. But there are choices that he is making contributing to him becoming this killer, liar, traitor. True. And I think that he almost can't accept that, that his actions have consequences that do this and not that if he spent, you know, if you spend more time thinking about it, maybe things will turn out differently. And instead he's like, no, clearly I'm just going to keep going the way I always do. And that will be different this time. And clearly not the case. But I do wonder... And I want to ask you, do you think that fate really is pushing him to make these choices? Like he's feeling like there is no other choice, but is that because fate is making him feel that way? No, we've had this discussion before and I think, I think I had the same response before. <laughs> I'm not sure it's been a while, but I do not believe if any of this plot has to make sense that fate or anything or destinies belong with Fitz because Fitz is the catalyst he is the one to make those choices and move the world into a different position depending on his choices. So I believe it is Fitz making those choices and that's what progresses the different events to happen. So then that absence of fate makes you have a horrible life? <laughs> no, not necessarily if there is fate in this, you know? You don't think there's fate for everybody else and not Fitz? No, I don't, actually. Not in this uh, this universe at all. Because the fool also mentions that the smallest choices that a farmer in a random field makes affects the future as well. There's all these small things. It's just that since Fitz is so unlikely to have survived to make the choices he does at this point to be around, he is the pivotal moving point. He is the one who is in the positions all the time. To make the new next choices. Right. His have his choices make bigger ripples. Right. Interesting. Okay. It, it brings up 
it's hard to fit everything in metaphysically in this book, right? In this series, because without a destiny or a fate, how can how can the fool see the future? Right. There, you know, you can explain around that, but I feel like there's no, you know, one set way, and I think that is the underlying philosophy of all the realm of the elderlings that your choices do matter even if the prophets can't push it into a better thing you can change your own future with your own choices but the whole of the world is just kind of in cycles just because history repeats itself right too many people don't make different choices right because the the different choices seem pretty hard (laughs) (laughs) considering what they lead for fits so yeah exactly maybe that's why not everyone could be a catalyst (laughs) so he's climbing up this ridge and he gets to the top looks down on the other side and sees a road with a bunch of pharaoh soldiers there well kingsguard at least in the yellow and the browns sees a bunch of dogs sees men on horseback sees a hunter with a long-legged mongrel dog as well that is separate from the pack. That is separate from the pack. And we know this is the old blood hunter. Yes. That Regal has paid and bought to hunt Fitz. Fitz hasn't realized that yet. He's just kind of astounded. And But he walked sil- right into them. <laughs> yeah, they're sil- he's silhouetted against the skyline because he's so high up. They see him and he just kind of has to turn to night eyes as they're fleeing back down the way they came. Just saying, sorry, didn't know there was a road there. <laughs> It's it gets a bit hectic, understandably, because now there is a chase chase scene and Fitz knows he has a small bit of lead because he was on top of a hill. They were at the bottom, so he gets a downhill run to start. They have to go up a hill. Yeah. And he gets to go through the stuff he had already trudged through as well while they have to go through unbroken snow. Yeah, so he, it's like best case scenario for him being caught. And he is heading as far as he can. He tells Night Eyes to run because he knows Night Eyes is being held back. And Night Eyes says, I will not leave you. And Fitz realizes that he has no chance without Night Eyes, but does tell him, okay, well, at least go make a diversion Go up to the ravine ahead and make a a ton of tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Make it so they can't figure out where we go and meet me on the other side. Night Eyes here says fox tricks and snorts, (laughs) which I thought was cute. So he's running for his life. He's gaining the shelter of some brush and getting into the forest a little bit more while the dogs and the horses are cresting the ridge. He takes off up the ravine in the bottom of it as fast as his legs would carry him. The snow was shallower at the very bottom for the overhanging trees and brush had caught and held most of it. I went half doubled over knowing that if I snagged on any branches they would dump their cold loads on me. The belling of the hounds rang in the freezing air. I listened to it as I pushed my way on. Too soon... They were there too soon at the false trails and would be coming too fast because he hears some of the bang of the hounds and yells out to Night Eyes, who says, Silence, you fool. The hounds will hear you and that other. 
My heart near stopped in my chest. I could not believe how stupid I had been. He's close to panic. He's running for his life. He he got what he wished for, but it was a surprise. Yes. And that's what he was not expecting. He, he thought they were going to come directly from behind him. Maybe in the distance he would hear some bang and be like, oh, I have to move faster. Or maybe, well, lay false trails. Right. It would be a longer chase. But this is right away, right in your face. Let's go. <laughs> like out of nowhere. Also... Kind of can't believe he didn't think about the fact that maybe they would just go straight to Jampe on roads. <laughs> I, I can understand why, because they're looking for him, but they know where he's headed. So I think he did figure that they would go on roads. He just seriously didn't know where the roads <laughs> ro- were. That's fair. So, That's fair. <laughs> he was just kind of cutting straight across the countryside and didn't expect a road to be there. Yeah. Just a horrible chance encounter. It was fate, if you will. Yes. <laughs> And so Night Eyes is being a hero here, pretty much. He's laying false trails. He's going in between the pack, the springs upon the pack, and raced right through the center of them, slashing as he went, dashing off right through the very legs of the horses the men rode behind them. One man was down and having trouble catching his wild-eyed mount. A dog had lost most of one floppy ear and was agonized with it. Fitz has to shut out all of this all of these thoughts and the pain and just kind of continue on. So Night Eyes is doing his best to distract and run away and run false trails and kind of taunt the pack in a different direction than Fitz. Right. And Fitz is struggling because not only is he tired, but he is still feeling the effects of that skill. His And he wasn't expecting this, so it's not like he's well-rested. This is after most of a day's journey. He is tired, and his legs feel like lead, and his mouth is dry, but he knows that Night Eyes is risking a lot to give him this time, and he has to keep going. Yeah, and this is the end of the fourth day of trudging since that skill thing, without much stop, without sleeping through the night, with keeping his walls up. Yeah, he's had... Meat that's barely like cooked over a fire every night. Mm-hmm. And he's just enough to keep going. He thought it was going to be endurance, but now it's a sprint and he's not ready for that because the ravine is getting narrower and deeper and he's struggling his his way through that. And behind me, he says, the hounds were yelping again, baying out to one another that they had the true trail now. Follow the wolf, the wolf, the wolf. I knew then with certainty that Night Eyes had shown himself to them once more and was deliberately drawing them away from me. Run, boy, run, he flung the thought to me, uncaring that the hounds would hear him. There was a wild merriment to him, a hysterical silliness to his thought. It reminded me of the night I had chased Justin through the halls of Buckkeep to slaughter him in the Great Hall before all the guests at King Regal's, at Regal's king-in-waiting ceremony. Night Eyes was in a frenzy that had carried him past worrying over his own survival. I plunged on, my heart in my throat for him, fighting the tears that pricked the corners of my eyes. So this chapter is full of Fitz eating his own medicine. Um, It starts with the thought that, oh, it feels really bad that Molly kept a secret from me and I did way worse. And here is Night Eyes acting in a way that is super dangerous. This is not how Night Eyes normally acts. He is putting himself in an immense amount of danger and Fitz cannot help him. This is probably how Night Eyes felt the night of the Great Hall incident. 
that he can tell something is wrong and he's not able to help. He can't help if Fitz gets in trouble and Fitz can't help if Night Eyes gets in trouble. This is super dangerous. And the ravine ends at that point. Kind of steep embankments all around. Kind of ran in the end of this ravine. And he's trapped here. The walls here were mostly undercut and overgrown. In other places, bare slabs of rock showed through the drapery of snow. Runty saplings and twiggy brush grew out in a scattering, leaning out to catch the sunlight from above. None of it looked promising for a climb. I turned to double back on my trail and heard a single howl rise and fall. Neither hound nor wolf, it could only be the mongrel dog. Something in the certainty of his cry convinced me he was on my trail. I heard a man shout encouragement and the dong yelped again, closer. I turned to the wall of the ravine and started to climb. I heard the man halloo to the others, calling and whistling for them to follow him. He had a man's tracks here, never mind the wolf. It was just a wit trick. In the distance, the hounds suddenly took up a different yelping. In that moment, I knew that Regal had finally found what he had sought. A witted one to hunt me. Old blood had been bought. This is super sad. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking of that hunter, the guy and his wit partner. They probably got caught like, hey, you're witted. Uh We will kill you or throw you in our circle unless you hunt. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the thing is, is that even if they were successful in this endeavor, Regal's going to kill them. Regal's not going to. Eventually, yeah. Yeah, not going to let them go free. They're going to be put in the circle. It's I don't think this is a winning thing. And they probably don't know that fully. But we do. And so it makes it even more sad that he's turning on Fitz because he could have just let the dogs be confused. He could have been like, oh, I didn't know. And like, what are they going to say? Yes, you did. I It just he's in a tight position. So I feel for this man, whoever he is. But it's like, oh, a lose lose. And I wish he just would have been better to Fitz <laughs> just let him have a little bit more time I don't know and maybe he tr- he did maybe that was a kindness he gave Fitz is that he gave him a little bit more time maybe but this was not a kindness because as Fitz starts to climb up the dog and the hunter roll in and he starts to knock an arrow and shoots Fitz in the back even after he says please Yeah, please, I heard myself gasp, then heard the tiny, unmistakable sound of a bowstring being released. So he releases one of his hands. He can't feel it anymore. And then he says, pain bit again deep into my right wrist. I cried out as my fingers let go. In a reflex of terror, my legs scrabbled fiercely against the unyielding brush that dangled over the undercut bank. And somehow I was rising, my face brushing crusty snow. I found my left arm and made vague swimming motions with it. Get your legs up, Night Eyes snapped at me. He made not a sound, for his teeth were set firmly in the sleeve of, and flesh of my right arm as he dragged me up. The chance at living rejuvenated me. So Night Eyes once again is the hero, and he catches Fitz's arm and pulls him up the rest of the way of the embankment mm-hmm. before he can fall back down. And he's yelling encouragement at Fitz here. Get up, get up, we have to run. I don't recall how I got to my feet. I heard dogs scrabbling up the cliff behind me. 
that I stood back from the edge and met them as they came up. His jaws tore them open and he flung their bodies back down on the rest of the pack. When the curly-backed mongrel fell, there was a sudden lessening in the yelping below. We both knew his agony and heard the screams of the man below as his bond animal bled to death in the snow. The other huntsman was calling his dogs off, angrily telling the others it would do no good to send them up to be slaughtered. I could hear the man, the men yelling and cursing as they turned their weary horses and started back down the ravine to try and find a place where they could get up and after us to try and pick up our trail again. So they escape here a little bit. They get a shortcut up and Night Eyes has held off the dogs from staying on their trail. So it's not a good place for the men to go up either because the horses and everything can't struggle up without a wolf being right <laughs> being right at the top waiting for them so they back around and buy a little bit more time for Fitz to move on yeah and in the protection of Fitz Fitz and Nighthighs have done the unspeakable and killed a witted partner it's in self defense and I don't know what else they could have done <laughs> to stay alive in this instant. It's kind of the what the witted partner was gambling with when he went after Fitz in this way and something that he would have done to Fitz anyway or Night Eyes given the chance clearly. So it's it's sad and I feel really bad for this man. I mean, he's obviously a bad person. It just is so hard because we know the kind of dress he's probably under. And now he's... I don't even would say he's a bad person. I know. It's <laughs> it's such a hard... We just don't know. Him. It's a moral gray area. Yes. <laughs> and he says, Fitz says to himself, we would not speak of what we had just done. Right. And he is taking it on himself, too. This isn't yeah. just Night Eyes that did this. He's taking the blame, too. And I thought that was nice of him <laughs> because I think it's rough. It's just bad. I don't know. I guess I don't know how Night Eyes feels about it. We don't really get to hear from Night Eyes what his thoughts are on this whole thing. We hear bits and pieces, but we're not in Night Eyes's head the way we are Fitz's. And so we don't know how heavily this weighs on him. Right. As they're running, Fitz is focusing a little bit too much on the arrow and the damage it's doing to him. We get another wonderful Robin Hobb description of gruesome, gory details. And this part is Fitz focusing on when he has butchered deer before. Yes. And seeing the damage that it does for like longer shots and things like that. So he's focusing on like, do I feel, do I taste blood in the back of my throat? Like what's happening? And Night Eyes just has to say, don't think about it. You weaken us both. Just walk. <laughs> Walk and keep walking. Yes. Because he knows that Fitz can't run at this point either. Right. The arrow is pretty deep in his shoulder from uh, the it's, back. In his, it's in his back, like straight right. in the back, I think. It's not mm. just shoulder. Well, but like the back shoulder. Right. It's like, this is still, I'm touching a part of my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see that, listeners. But like. I feel like your shoulder blade is on your back and that's still shoulder. Is it not? Or do you count Does that as just Does he say back? shoulder blade? <laughs> he just says he gets shot in the back, but it, a fist in the back, one of Regal's old trick from childhood and then deeper, hotter pain inside me. So I don't know, but I feel like if it's affecting his hand, it has to be somewhere near the shoulder blade, right? Maybe. Yeah, it could be. We don't get a description of exactly I, where in his back. We don't. I don't know. 
I am picturing <laughs> like left shoulder blade, not center of the back. Like <laughs> you can picture it if you want. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's just so everybody's on the same page as me. <laughs> I guess I don't know why I just assumed that's where it is, but that's where I was. Um, I don't know where I was going with that now, though, so. <laughs> Fitz and Night Eyes walk on, and Fitz is in shock here. He's kind of delirious. He's lost a lot of blood. He says, I walked and he walked at my side for a time. Then I was walking blindly forward in the dark, not caring in which direction I went, and he was not there. I groped for him, but could not find him. Somewhere afar, I heard the yelping of dogs again. I walked on. I blundered into trees. Branches scratched my face, but it was all right because my face was numb. The shirt on my back was a slushy sheet of frozen blood that moved chafingly against my skin. I tried to pull my cloak more closely around me, but the sudden pain nearly drove me to my knees. Silly me. I had forgotten it would drag against the arrow shaft. Silly me. Keep walking, boy. I walked on. He's bumping into trees more and more here. And eventually he says he gets to uh, under the shelter of some evergreens where the snow was shallow. He sank to his knees and said, please, I had not the strength to weep for mercy. Please. I could not think whom I was asking. Yeah, so Fitz is pretty delirious. He's lost a lot of blood. You think he's saying that to Night Eyes? Because Night Eyes is the one that says, keep walking, boy. It's not highlighted like Night Eyes says it, but that's what he was saying before. It's like, run, boy, run. Uh-huh. I don't know. I, I don't think the please is to Night Eyes necessarily. I found it more as like a general... The fates. Yeah, I, I think general plea. Yeah, just like, because before this, he was talking about how he never has a choice and this is always how his life goes and that it's just pain and hardship. And now he after that thought and after the calm of this chase where he almost died, it almost feels like a to me, the way I read it, a please into the universe of Ida and yeah, L. Yeah. Please just like let this be it. Help me. Right fix this and i don't know or just, who knows what he was thinking just please just like, please just, just please something i think we've all been there maybe not to this extent but just a please um, so he sits down and hugs a tree puts his face in the crook of his arm and just kind of sits there right he's not moving he uh is thinking of sinking into kind of like a sleep Right. I would have been cold, save I was too tired. I sank into sleep. When I woke up, I'd build a fire and get warm. I could imagine how warm I'd be. Could almost feel it. Yeah, Which this is bad. Which is a sign of hypothermia yes. as well. You start to get warmer as mm -hmm. you get closer to death. Yeah, super bad. Um, also, you get very tired. Yep. So, uh, yeah, yeah. There's probably multiple reasons why he's tired, but yes, right. that is, I mean, that's also, <laughs> that is also Yes, simple. he has other reasons to be tired, <laughs> but hypothermia, one of the big things is you're not supposed to go to sleep when it's super cold. Right. Because you could freeze to death in your sleep. Mm -hmm. It's like a very good sign that, that will happen. But he's too tired to keep going forward. It's a lot of pain 
Um, but he can't even rest properly because of the wound in his back. It's not, he can't lie down. And Night Eyes reaches out to save him from this as well. Yeah. As he's falling asleep, he calls out my brother. And Fitz says, I'm here. I told him calmly, right here. I quested out to touch him reassuringly. He was coming back to Fitz. And Fitz realizes that he has a small scrape on his nose, but nothing really bad. He has a lot of a lot of frozen saliva around him. He's been running hard this whole right. time. And he had harried the horses from behind, plunging through the snow-covered uh, grasses in the dark. And only two of their dogs were left alive. And one of the horses was limping so badly the rider had doubled up with another. And now he was coming back to Fitz, triumphant. And trying to get back to Fitz to keep him alive right. as well. He was tired, yes, but the energy of triumph surged through him. The night was crisp and clean around him. He caught the scent and then the tiny eye flicker of the hare that had crouched between, between a bush, hoping he'd pass by. We did not. A single sudden sideways pounce and the hare was in his jaws. We clutched it by the bony head and snapped its spine with one shake. We trotted on, the meat a welcome dangling weight from his jaws. We would eat well. The night forest was silver and black around us. Stop, my brother. Do not do this. Do what? I love you, but I do not wish to be you. Fitz had accidentally started going into night ice. Yeah, I hovered where I was, his lungs working so strongly, drawing in the cold night air past the hare's head in his mouth, the slight sting of the slash down his muzzle, his powerful legs carrying his lean body so well. You do not wish to be me either, Changer. Not really. I was not sure he was correct. Once again, he feels his body's strength waning, and even more so than before, because before it was a struggle to detach fully from his body to go into night eyes as his body failed in the dungeons. Right. This one, because he's done it in the past, he knows what he's doing. He knows what it feels like. He knows his mind knows that his body is dying. Right. And that the natural thing is to jump into night eyes. I don't think he does it on purpose. I don't think at first he realizes. No, he doesn't because when night eyes calls him back, he does go back to his own body. Yes. But I do think the hesitation is when he realizes what's happening, he really has to fight the urge not to stay. And I think it's interesting that Night Eyes has drawn the line of, I love you, but you cannot be me. Whereas before, Night Eyes was willing to share and almost wanted Fitz to stay with him. At, right after Fitz goes back to his own body, there is such, uh, such a struggle of keeping fits in his body because he and night eyes both want to be together so badly. Right. And I wonder if this is something that is affected by the fact that night eyes got to be his own person, <laughs> his own animal with outfits and now knows a better distinction of who he is versus who fits is. I think so. Yeah. Because later on when, when night eyes does come before him and bring the hair and, you know, rips it open for him and makes Fitz eat a bit. Fitz thinks, without thinking, I had nearly abandoned my body for his, nearly climbed in beside him into that perfect, healthy wolf's body. I had done it once before with his consent, 
but now we both knew better. We would share, but we could not become one another, not without both of us losing. So I think both of them realize that even though it was a nice thing for them at the time, having the time apart with Night Eyes and also being so close together for so long just made them less of people than they were. Right. And when they were together, it was too weird. There's, It's not natural, and I think it's something that does go against the natural feeling. As much as Night Eyes would love to help Fitz, I don't think even on Fitz's deathbed he would do it again. No, yeah, not anymore. Clearly, because he pushes, right. <laughs> he pushes Fitz away. Um, not that I think it's harsh of Night Eyes to do this. I think it's good. And it's nice to see the growth between the start of the book where Night Eyes is like, come back to me, brother. And now where he's like, "Mm, I love you, but no, thank you. (laughs) It's good to see the boundaries being put up and to see them both grow, even if it's hard because it would be easier for Fitz. (laughs) Right. So he eats a little bit here and is thinking about the arrow now, now that they've paused for a little bit. He can feel it move when he moves his back. And he can feel the weight of the shaft. He forced himself into a calm that he did not feel. Suddenly, oddly, an image of Birik came to me. That deadly stillness in his face when he had flexed his knee and watched the old wound pulling open. Slowly, I reached my hand back. I walked my fingers up my spine. It made the muscles pull against the arrow. Finally, my fingers touch the sticky wood of the arrow shaft, and he tries to pull it out. But agony rocks him, and when it's steady, he found himself on his hands and knees with his head hanging down. I do want to say he walks his hand up his <laughs> I was spine. I'm just gonna say, I this doesn't make sense to me. I don't. Why? I don't. I cannot picture where this arrow is because if he is walking his hand, oh, from underneath. He's yes. I'm underneath. thinking that he is reaching behind you, his back you keep from thinking, above. Yeah, you keep thinking above. I'm always thinking like he's, he's reaching going his hand from behind, behind. Yeah, down below, lower. and then walking up to the middle okay. of his back. Okay. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. In my mind, he's going above his head with his hand and then no. walking up, which doesn't, like, there's not very much. I don't know if, you've, if you're doing it with me as I'm talking, but if you put your hand from the up to your spine and then walk up, there's very little spine. And I feel like if you were hit in one of those places, you would definitely not still be walking. Right. <laughs> Although I suppose you can get hit in the lower spine and not walk. So yes. it's, Yeah. Spinal injuries are no joke. So it's not like it's in his back. It doesn't say in his spine, but But it is affecting his shoulder. It's affecting his arm in some way. Yes. (laughs) So he he cannot pull it out himself, which. Shocker. Yeah, shocker. Night Eyes asks if he should try and Fitz is like, no, but can you cut it off? Like, can you break it? Yes. And Night Eyes just kind of like a good old puppy is takes it in his back teeth and just snip. (laughs) <laughs> like a gardener shears, he says, just kind of cuts off the rest of the arrow. Yeah. At the as close as he can to there. Right. And it's probably better that Fitz cannot pull this out himself because it will just It'll make things more. way worse. Yeah, it, it it is worse. Yeah, you're not supposed to <laughs> just if anybody is in the situation where they have an arrow in their back, if you are alone, do not pull the arrow out. It is Or really... any any sort of projectile that is in you yes. that is bigger. Do not pull it out without 
medical attention there. Yes, because you will bleed a lot more. There's way more risk of injury. Yes. You could make things way worse. Yeah, it's just don't do it. (laughs) Just a friendly PSA because all of us are always in this situation. (laughs) After it's snipped off, Fitz loosens his cloak and wraps it more around him because he's shuddering. He's cold. He's freezing. All the blood is kind of cooling him down as well, and he's closing his eyes, but Night Eyes is insistent. No, build a fire first. Peeled my eyes open again. It was all too hard. I scraped together all the twigs and sticks within easy reach. Night Eyes tried to help, fetching branches to me, but it still took an eternity before I had a small flame dancing. Slowly, I added sticks. About the time I had the fire burning, I realized the day was dawning. Time to move on again. We stayed only to finish eating the rabbit, and to let me get my hands and feet thoroughly warm. Then we started off again, Nut Eyes leading me unpityingly onward. And they keep going, and that's where this chapter ends. Which I didn't, I forgot that it was two chapters, because the next one is titled Jean Pei. Yes. And that's where he continues and ends this chase, but I thought it was all in one chapter when I was remembering this sequence of events yeah it's a rough one so (laughs) i can see how you would yeah yeah he has a a triumphant skill usage though yes he does he is able to do it which he couldn't do in the cell just hours before so he doesn't mention anything about a headache i don't think afterwards no but he does have a dark mood which usually we all just assume is from the elf bark. I don't always assume it's okay. just from well, the yeah. elf bark. <laughs> I think it's enhanced by the elf bark, but I definitely Fitz is depressed and he goes through a lot of thoughts. <laughs> Do you think that means so we already know, we all know magic is Addicting, specifically yes. skill magic is addicting. So yes. do you think his black moods are also caused from the withdrawal of using the skill? I don't know if that makes sense, because if it's a addictive, which it is, using it should not cause withdrawal symptoms or anything like that. It's, well, he's not using it anymore. He stopped. Right. This is it's a, never described, uh, even in like skill scrolls afterwards like in the later trilogies as chade is learning the skill as well it's never mentioned so i feel like that is not part of it well here's my rebuttal to that not that i think that i have to be right (laughs) but could it potentially not be mentioned because not everybody succumbs to the greatness of the feeling of power you know what i mean that's that's a prerequisite to mastering the skill, though, or to using it, is that you do not succumb. Everyone feels it. It's always described as, like, the best feeling ever. But, hear me out, remember when Fitz was first learning, he hadn't, he had built up walls. He hadn't even felt pleasure. It was fine. Like, he could feel it tickling around him, but it wasn't, like, immense. And whenever he had that accident where he accidentally plunges into the river it's the best feeling he's ever felt in his entire life he had never felt that before so that that was because uh galen was hand holding all of them but he he had had initiated the contact and and kept that it was just like a barest hint of letting through the rest of it basically 
That's what I remember from it. No. And then when he dove full first, head first into the river, he wasn't supposed to do that because they weren't supposed to be ready for that yet. Right. But everybody else was struggling. So remember, they were doing one-on-ones with Galen. He's, like, looking into their mind. And Fitz freaks out because Galen's trying to, like, rifle through his thoughts. Right. And... Up until this point, they'd been doing exercises where they're, like, blocking off their mind. And Fitz was the only one succeeding at not touching the skill. Right. And then with this mistake, he does touch it. And it, like, makes everything great. (laughs) It's a wonderful feeling. So I'm thinking the other people were struggling because they weren't being taught by a true master. And they weren't, like, trained well. I don't know. (laughs) We know that Galen didn't teach in a very conventional way nor did he teach well so i wonder if normal people training in the skill never have that moment of slipping or at least not normal i don't know not normal i i don't know i i don't know how best to just something was abnormal and how fitz learned to connect to the skill you mean yes and so like it's Mm. more of an addiction quality because he knows what the untapped stuff feels like the pure skill and he does feel it every time now because he knows what he's looking for and he almost got swept up this last time where he like almost lost himself and then gathered himself again remembering that he has a job it's possible that just doesn't jive with how i've pictured the skill that's fair all the time i'd be more apt to think that his dark moods after using the skill are because of his depression and his mental uh, PTSD and everything like that. And with the fleeing great feeling, all of that comes rushing back in and it hits harder than normal. Mm. Coupled with the fact that he uses elf bark once in a while and it really enhances it. Right. But I think to me, it just makes sense that it's not so much, you know, a fault of how he learned or in, you know, a mistake or an accident when he was learning or starting to rather than just, this is a constant thing that he goes through just because he has untreated issues and can't really help those thoughts. Fair enough. I don't know. I guess we won't really ever know, but I don't know. Just a (laughs) different way to think about it. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Glad you tuned in and listened to chapter 19 with us. We're looking forward to hearing from you at the end of this. Uh, you can contact us at isfitshappy at gmail.com or you can go to our website isfitshappy.com and you can go to any of the links on there, leave a review, write us. We have our socials up on there as well. You can leave comments or message us directly through any of those. Thank you so much for tuning in. Yeah, we look forward to seeing you next week. 